Welcome everyone to Around the ACL. It's Michelle Thompson here and I am joined by Trey Ryder and Mike Morton. Anthony is on his vacation. Trey and I took ours last weekend, uh, but now Anthony's off on his trip uh, to somewhere in Mexico, I believe, with a large amount of people, uh, like his whole family or something. I don't even know. We can't wait to hear about it when he gets back. <laughs> yeah, that's the story, right? He always gets all these family members at the house or on vacations. Uh, but anyways, um, we had exciting cornhole this weekend. We've got cornhole coming up this weekend. And I have to admit that I'm almost embarrassed to admit this, but I just found the ACL Cornhole TV app on my TV. <laughs> so I've been watching it from my phone all this time. And I just found it like on Sunday. And I was like, what is life changing? <laughs> it is. It is life changing. Because yeah, like, I like it because, you know, when there's so many times I would do the same thing. I would pull it up on my phone and watch it. And I'm like, wait a second. Why don't I just, cause then I'd want to use my phone for something else. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I had exactly. to go away from it, whatever. But then I found it on my TV. I'm like, my wife doesn't watch TV. She doesn't watch TV. So I'm like, Oh, I'll just put it on in the background and do all this stuff, cook dinner, whatever. And so it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. And I don't remember the name of the app. I don't know if you do Trey, but the way I found it was I was actually searching for cornhole on my smart TV to record the broadcast and then the app popped up and I was like, wait, what? So I yeah. found it accidentally. <laughs> so that's that's how you could find it if you're looking for it. You know yeah. what my takeaway there is? Trey doesn't have to fight his wife for the TV. That's yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it's all it's amazing. <laughs> it is amazing. Although there's one downside is you know how when you like sit down and you're like, you want to watch a movie? Her answer is always no. Always, always no. no. <laughs> she does not watch movies, she does not watch TV. She just not a least you know the answer going in. Yep, exactly. Oh, man. We watched the, the, I know it's not new anymore, but Rome wanted to watch the newest Ghostbusters. Um, so that was not that good, actually. But uh, we do a lot of family movie nights. <laughs> so that wouldn't really fly in my house. All right, let's go ahead and do a recap of the uh, pro shootout that happened this last weekend in uh, Mesa, Arizona. For men's single, first place, Alex Rawls, second, Jimmy Humans, and then Eric Davis and Moses Zazueta. Um, and then I'll go women's singles. Then we'll talk about it. Women's singles. Rosie Streaker took first. Sam Finley second. Kaylee Hunter third. And Megan Moppin. So two doubles teams going into that women's singles, taking the wins there. And Rosie with the, I wish I had the picture of the kick at the end when she won. Uh, typical Rosie, like the cutest <laughs> thing ever. Um, but Trey, what are your thoughts on men and women's singles? Yeah, a couple things come to mind. First, uh, Alex Rawls wins the weekend. Um we were talking, or I, I mentioned that I knew that Alex Rawls was going to be really good, but I just didn't know how he would handle the round-limited format, right? Being a rookie pro, coming in, not having any experience with the round-limited format in his first shootout, there was just a question mark for me. Well, he turned the question mark into an exclamation mark. I mean, he, he was just unbelievable. He was dominant, and really, it, it was... I honestly think he was slated to win both singles and doubles, but after he won that singles, I kind of saw him and and he was kind of behind the scenes in breaks, you know, whatever. He was so jacked up. He's calling people. He's running around like he's just a maniac. He was so excited. I think it was just too hard for him to just refocus and get back to focusing on the fact that he had to then go out and try to win doubles. And I think that's ultimately why they lost. But Rawls was just so good. Um, I I think there's a legit right now. And I know the shootouts don't come into factor with 
with how people with how you vote for MVP for rookie of the year and things of that nature right now he's almost in my mind got that MVP in his hand it's just about whether or not he can hold on to it uh, I'm sorry not MVP rookie of the year he's got rookie of the year in his hand and uh, unless a Mark Richards or a Josh Holland comes out and wins the final chase. I think it's going to be really hard for anybody to take that away from Alex Rawls because he's playing so well right now. I think the only two thoughts I also want to add, I cannot believe Rosie won. I mean, really, it, it, you know, she's just not had that great of a season. And I, but I think it's kind of reflective of last year. I really think Rosie winning was a break in serve on the women's side. I mean, think about it. We listed all those females that were there. Kaylee Hunter, Sam Finley, Megan Maupin, Lori Duell, Miranda Coy. Then this coming weekend, which we'll get to in a bit, you still have Connie Altice. You still have Yeti Irwan. That's more than eight women. And Rosie comes in and wins number two, like Lori Duell did last year. And, and I didn't even mention Cameron Belvin, who we'll talk about again in a little bit, who had an incredible open. But what I'm getting at is, by Rosie taking spot number two, she has just layered on additional legitimate pressure on every other female in this division to try to win a shootout because she was not slated to be the number two winner, but I'm so proud of her. I'm happy for her because she went 0 for 5 last year on broadcasts and she gets the first one she appears this year. I love that. And the last person I'll mention before I turn it over to Mike is just, I was, I'm, I'm starting to see 2021 Eric Davis. Um, I think he was a little bit off in that final, but we saw that shot making ability with that airmail drag followed by that, that same sky high airmail he threw at the world championships last year. He throws it again this year uh, or, or this past weekend and we're starting to see that Eric Davis between the shootout last week and now in uh, last last weekend, um, and then the the um, the single shootout this weekend, he is starting to play like he played last year, which should make a lot of people worried heading into these this fourth national year as well as the world championships. And all the credit has to go to Michelle for picking him at shootout number one. If it weren't for that, he would not be playing at such a high level. Oh my goodness. Like I can't even, I just love that kid so much. I talked to him quite often, actually. Uh, I was talking to him a lot throughout the day um, when he was playing and I was like, just come on, Eric, you got this. Like we got to make this happen. <laughs> um, it just, yeah, he's such a sweet kid and he's so freaking talented. It like, like he's on another level. And I just feel he like is. he doesn't know he's on another level. Maybe he does, but I just, I need him to see it. I don't think there's any – I don't think it's crazy to say he's the best shot maker in the world. Agreed. 100%. Hands down. I, mean, I, I, I can't think of anybody – I mean, you could maybe include Noah Wooten in that mix, but I don't think there's anybody that does it more consistently than Eric Davis. Yeah. It's what he does, for sure. All right, Mike. What are your thoughts on men and women singles? Well, first of all, I just to, – to echo what Trey said about Alex, I, I did manage to talk to him a little bit, and – Trey, I think you you hit it. He was just too too jacked up after singles to focus on doubles. Or I think they him and Trey Birchfield take home doubles as well. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a lesson learned for him. He understands even when that he now, but even when forward. he had that loss, Mike. Like that, I forget how many points he gave up in that first or second round, and he was like, "It's all good. We're good." Like he was so relaxed. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're yeah. fine. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think I in hindsight, think you're he, fine. 
Yeah. Right. He understands that in hindsight. And, and he actually told me, too, that um, he thinks that he finally figured out how to play under the lights, um, how to play with the crowd and, and the cameras. So, you know, we have to watch and see if he really has. But look out world if if he's really figured it out. So he's, that's a good he's, point because uh, he was more energetic and more that was more lively exactly than he, he had been in, in previous broadcasts. What he told me is he realized he has to feed on the crowd's emotion and not try to be detached from the crowd. And that's mm-hmm. what allowed him to zone in. So we'll see. You if just that gave a secret away, work. Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I'm not the only person he's told. He was oh. pretty jacked up. <laughs> so, so, but beyond that, I just, man, that was just an exciting weekend overall. And, you know, the, the first comment I want to make is just going back to the very first day of the event and the rounders action. Um, can you imagine a single elimination tournament where here's some of your seeds, Eric Davis seated 18th, Alex Rawls seated 14th, Matt Guy, 31st, Trey Birchfield seated 37th. Can you imagine going into a single elimination tournament with a field shaken up like that? It just, it, it was crazy to, to observe and see the matchup as, as matchups as they happened. But those all happened because we, we only play a short number of, of uh, games for the, the seating. In this case, it was just two games. And uh, all of those guys took a loss um, early. So it, it really shook the field up. So, but, but I got it. I have to focus on one game in particular. If y'all haven't heard about it or seen it or or anything of such, you've got to figure that out. Moses Azueda and Caleb Batson. All right. Moses threw 40. Well, let me start with Caleb. Caleb threw 48 bags. He put 44 of the 48 in the hole. And he didn't score. 44 of the 48. Other four he put on the board. All right. So he averaged an 11.33. Are you kidding me? And he lost. He lost. And not only did he lose, he didn't score. So crazy. Moses Azueda shot an 11.67. 46 out of 48 bags in the hole. The other two were on the board. Absolutely mind-blowing. Moses Azueda goes down. Um, to me, he was one of the standouts of this tournament. Yes, Alex Rawls had a, a, a fantastic weekend, but Moses really stepped out and I think made a name for himself. One of my favorite moments was seeing him play on the broadcast and seeing all of the locals there and, and not just locals, but seeing everybody cheering for him. So I thought that was a great story. I pretty but much only him. Itself, <laughs> yeah. it's like, it was definitely the crowd was in his favor. Yes, he was a crowd favorite for sure. Yeah, so, it was so funny. Um, it was, you know, it was like, and I kind of felt bad for the women afterwards, but like in that semifinal broadcast, <laughs> it was audible. Like when you had Jimmy Humans playing against Moses Sazueda, every time Jimmy would throw a bag, you know, it was, every time Mo, every time Moses would make a bag, the crowd would go bananas and everybody's going crazy. Yes. And then the next game when we had our women's semis, I believe it was Kaylee and Sam were up next. Like every bag was just it was like, where did the crowd go? But they didn't – everybody was just that much behind, and you felt like a dramatic shift because everybody was just so behind Moses Sazueta. And, uh, yeah, he truly – he lived up to the underdog role, and he played it really, really, really well, which was cool. 
Yeah, outstanding. He 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 did great. And and hats off to Jimmy for handling the uh, the pressure of that situation with the crowd, not really rooting against him, but rooting for his opponent. I thought he handled it really well. And speaking of Jimmy, I do have to say last week, um, I mentioned that he went 0 and 5 or 0 and 4, 0 and 5, I think I said in uh shootouts last season, or 0 and 4, I think I said. I just want to correct that. I left one of the shootouts out of my equations. Um, I did not factor in Atlanta last year because it was outside and it rained and I was trying to do apples to apples comparison heading into this weekend. Yeah. So anyway, I did not count the Atlanta shootout. Jimmy pointed out to me that he had a couple wins there. So, um, but he comes out this weekend and he goes four and one makes a deep run, finally loses to Alex in the finals shows that he's capable of playing in shootouts. So, um, good, good for Jimmy as well. Awesome. And then our doubles winners, we had Ryan Smith and Philip Lopez. So Mark Richards had a wedding he had to go to. So Philip Lopez had to find a new partner. I don't know what happened to Eric Anderson, but it was an interesting pair up and they end up winning it. And then Trey Birchfield, Alex Rawls, we talked about that, that match that Alex had to play right after his big win. And then Jamie Graham, Matt Guy, and Doug Zaff and Bill Hadley. So those are our doubles. Really, really quick, Trey, any thoughts you want to put out there for those ones? Well, I just love, I talked to Ryan Smith and Philip Lopez afterwards, and they said they didn't know what bag they were going to throw until singles rounders got, uh, until the singles bracket got done. And cool. they both met up and they decided, <laughs> okay, what are we going to throw? Because we talked about that last week. We said, I have no idea what bag they're going to throw. Sure enough, they figured out. And when they were playing on the boards, I talked to them. They said, the boards out here are going to be, are going to be slower. It's going to be harder for Philip to kind of get in a rhythm because he's not used to that you know, that warlock and, and throwing that consistently. So Ryan kept saying, just get to the broadcast court. Just get to the broadcast court and we're going to win this thing. And sure enough, they said as soon as they hit that broadcast court, Philip was unbeatable and uh, they, they got on there. They win the whole thing. So, so, so you know, kudos to them. Um, and then the only other thing is I like to keep in mind is, man, does it start playing in Matt Guy's head? Because he has now, I mean, I get he went, he made it in doubles last year, um, but not making it in doubles or singles yet this season. I know yeah. it's just two. I know it's just two, but the standards for Matt Guy for himself are higher than anybody can set for him individually. So I worry about it playing into his head at all. True. Yeah. Mike, what do you think? Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's, um, we all know he's the goat. I mean, we know he's the goat, but you know, at some point is when does it stop becoming luck and, and start becoming something that he's doing or thinking or overthinking. Um, my money still goes on him every, every week, right? He's got to be the fans on favorite every week um, as long as he's entered. But I think it is time to start thinking about, you know, why mm -hmm. is it just bad breaks? I'm not sure. I don't know if you could say it's bad break. I mean, he hasn't made a single shootout, right? And how many has he played? It's been a good handful. <laughs> but I feel like everybody just throws really, really exceptionally well against him. Um, yeah. And, I, and today and, and, and this past weekend, I think every if – I'm, if I'm wrong, I'm just barely wrong. I think everybody that he threw against threw over a 10. So, yeah. you know, I understand he throws over a 10 on average himself, but still when everybody against you is throwing over a 10, it's really hard to win consistently. Sure. Yeah. Valid point. 
All right, we're going to switch over into Morton Corner, and then we'll come back to talk more about the Open this past weekend. So, Mike, what do you got for us? All right, so just a little bit more on on talking about stats in general and, and PPRs and how, you know, sometimes people think that we live live and die by PPR. And, and I just want to assure everyone that we as a collective understand PPR isn't the be-all, end-all. It is a guideline. It is a tool to determine how well someone throws, but it is not the factor or the only factor. Um, and I just want to throw out some examples of that. First of all, I think one of the reasons why is the talent level is getting so good that the uh, that the leaders are all bunched up at the top very tightly, just very tightly. If I told you that there were 52 players in the pro shootout, and I told you that 18 of those 52 players averaged over a 10, would that blow your mind? 18 out of the 52? 18 out of 52. That's almost like what? That's, That's going to be close to third. Yeah. That's over third. Crazy. Through over a 10. So, and that was this past weekend. That was this past weekend. That was the singles shootout. And that was the main bracket play. Okay. So the only thing that it's still amazing. It's small. It's a small, it's a small sample size. Uh, 100%. It is amazing. The only exp, you know, explanation that I can possibly give to that is that we had, it was incredibly dry. Which yes. means we had when we've been talking about over the past year or so, we've been using these same boards. People have been saying the boards have progressively gotten slower and slower, kind of how they've been worn down and worn down over thousands and thousands of bags being thrown on them. But then we took those same boards and we put them in the absolute most dry climate that we could. <laughs> and everybody was saying they were playing like ice absolute yeah. ice and so because i do think they of that, slowed down later but you are right when we for, when we first began on friday the boards were very fast yes and so because of that you know after having them kind of outside in the dry heat and then putting them into the cool climate it took a long it took two or three days for them to adjust to the climate control within the building to slow down back a little bit but i certainly think because it makes a little sense to me and i would expect the same thing in las vegas I yeah. expect the, the boards to be ice in Las Vegas. So so looking at those 18 players, <laughs> this is just frustrating if you're one of these players. Of those 18 players, there were seven players that went 0-1 while shooting <laughs> over a 10 PPR. I have a question, though. Do you think that part of that being able to shoot so well in the shootouts – are you talking about you're talking about just the shootouts, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm just looking yeah. at the, the shootout main yeah. bracket for singles. I mean, you guys are talking about some of the logistics, but I always think about humans. Like, do you think part of it is like, I only have to throw this many bags, theoretically, right? 12 rounds, 10 rounds. I do think that comes at least partially into play, at least partially. It's a question of how much it comes into play. I even well, theorize that that's why, yeah, that's why Matthew throws better is because I feel like I can observe him concentrating for the whole game and not having that mid game let up when you're playing to 21, when you're playing, you know, 18 frames, you, you tend to have a let up somewhere in the middle. Right. And, and, and the idea is, or I think a hundred percent this, uh, wait, Michelle brings up psychology. This I is know, I know. No way. <laughs> so, I can't help it. Yeah, I, I, you can literally walk up to someone and say, here you go. You're throwing 48 bags this game. Mm -hmm. That's all you're doing. You're throwing 48 bags. You're throwing a deck around plus two. Yeah. Right. 
And so that's all, that's all that matters is throwing 48 bags. Whereas when someone, when you go up to Matt guy, you don't know, am I going to have to grind against him for 50 rounds? Ball, 30 frames, <laughs> average of 10 and a half, you know? Right now I only have to average a 10 and a half over 12 frames. Psh, no, that's right. what I'm wondering. I'm wondering how much that makes them feel confident going in, like, and kind of eliminates any fear of like, Oh, I'm playing this person. Like, doesn't yeah. matter. I got to get this many bags in over time. Yeah, and, then, and then, uh, you know, Mr. Analyst Bernie neighbors last night on ACL live brought up a good point. He said, okay, take someone like, uh, we were actually specifically talking about this coming weekend with Brandon Jones and Ryan Windsor. They're playing as a team right now, even do it in extreme and do it with doubles. Now you're do, now you're throwing yeah. in a wow. twelve run game. You're throwing you're throwing twenty four bags. Okay, yeah. in a game, Brandon Jones may go through peaks of throwing an eleven and valleys of throwing a six. Right, but mm. if you now you take a round limited game and chunk that into games, you may only get the eleven version of Brandon Jones by chunking him and only getting him that those those six rounds of play that he needs to. So I, I've, actually, I've actually heard the players before they start a game say, hey, you put your 24 in, I'll put my 24 in. Exactly. You know, so yep. different, I different mean, mindset. It is a different mindset. And because of that, I think that's why I really like the shootouts because it, it, it gives you an opportunity to get a Moses Asueda. I really don't think we'll see Moses Asueda on a final four of pro singles at a national level. It's too much of a grind, too many odds against him statistically based on what his past performances have been and and, and, and what, what's projected he has to go against. But absolutely in a shootout, a smaller field, he only has to throw 48 bags a game. If he makes 40 of them, who's going to beat him? I mean, we're back, the, the, to, we're back to that smaller sample size. If you, if you know you only have to keep it up for a small period of time, it's easy to beat the numbers. Yeah. So, so speaking of the numbers, uh, back to something I mentioned earlier. Because of that, the leading PPR scorer in that bracket was Caleb Batson at eleven point three three, going over. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Just what an anomaly! How, how uh, and then lead, and lead then, the bracket and go zero and one. Right, absolutely. And then to drive this, drive home the point that we understand PPR is important. It's not to be all end all. Just really quickly, the four brackets. Um, in bracket A, the winner of the bracket was Justin Burton Jr., who I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, fourth in PPR. Um, the PPR leader in bracket A was Caleb Batson. He came in ninth place. Um, bracket B, Jeremy Shermerhorn won the bracket, seventh in PPR. PPR leader was Scott Schultz. And he only came in 17th place. Wow. Bracket C, uh, Philip Lopez Jr. won the bracket and came in fourth in PPR. PPR leader was Peter Zazueda, and he came in fourth place overall. And then finally in bracket D, Cameron Belvin won the bracket. Congrats, Cameron. Third in PPR, though. And then the PPR leader was Matt Guy, and he came in in third place overall. So... Just you could see that the PPR, sometimes it's a rough indicator. Sometimes it's not so rough indicator. And as you know, we've been talking the past few weeks about some better stats that we might be able to come up with. But that's what we've got for the moment. Cool. All right. Well, let's actually just 
flow into the open and talk about what happened there. You kind of alluded to it already. Mm-hmm. For our level one singles, Jeremy Shermerhorn took first, Justin Burton Jr. second, Philip Lopez and Cameron Belvin third. Um, Cameron Belvin, super impressive uh, to watch. I felt like I got that Cameron Belvin that we saw, you know, last season um, where you were putting your up in the conversation with Cheyenne Renner. Um, so really cool to see that. And uh, for doubles, Trey Birchfield and Alex Rawls, Eric Davis and Hunter Thorne, Philip Lopez and Jacob Trzinski, and David Morse and Justin Burton Jr. Justin Burton Jr., another impressive player, non-pro, yes. um, made a run and definitely made him someone to to look at um, if you're if you're a pro or non-pro. Uh, so Trey, uh, thoughts on singles and doubles for the open part of the weekend? I got four words. Okay. Backwards hat. Jeremy Shermerhorn. <laughs> that, that's right. what you got to do. Words, but a lot of syllables, Trey. <laughs> There's a lot of, a lot of it's a mouthful. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Well, Shermerhorn <laughs> alone has 47 <laughs> syllables in it. So, uh, no, I mean, it, it, I, kudos. I, I, yes. I don't, I don't have a ton to say about. Jeremy Is there a Shermerhorn. story there, Trey? Do you know? Because he kept pointing to the sky and he had the suicide awareness bracelet. Like, do we know? Was did something happen? Like. I, I not that I know that not that I know not that I've seen on social media. The only story element that I have is that uh, you know a couple events ago, Jeremy Shermerhorn, when he was at, no, he was at the bag brawl. Okay, he went on that deep run. He put his hat back on backwards, and Adam Deer, the dragon, if you guys remember way back when ACL Pro Adam Deer, he he jumped in the comments and he and everybody, a couple of people have been giving me credit. It's not me. I'm. It's not. I didn't come up with it. Adam Deere said, it's got to be the backwards hat. So then I just started calling him backwards hat Jeremy Shermerhorn. And sure enough, he wore the hat backwards the entire singles event, and he won. So I, he can never wear a hat forwards again. No. He cannot do definitely. it. But if you're superstitious, no. I mean, that's, that's um, it. That's the whole reason. Yeah. So, I mean, you said it. Uh, uh, Cameron Belvin was probably the number two story, I would say, there for her bouncing back and – you know, you know, I kept watching her through the bracket because I had left already, and I was like, "What is she doing?" And then she beats Matt Guy. I'm like, "This is the Cameron Belvin I've been waiting for." She she was consistent. She was down the center. She looked comfortable. And the only thing I can think of is again, she does like faster boards. I mean, if if that played a factor. Now by that point, they had slowed down a little bit, so maybe they were at that sweet spot speed that they she had, really they liked. Had slowed down by then. They, they definitely had slowed down a little bit by then. And and so, you know, I, I I was just, I was excited for her. You mentioned Justin Burton Jr. I really thought he was, um, you know, he, he has emerged as a top prospect for next season. I'll have to check his age. I, he's above 18, maybe. I don't know. We'll have to look and I want to check his age and make sure. But, you know, he's a, certainly a top prospect um, for next season as an ACL pro. So everybody's eyes will be on Burton. Philip Lopez just keeps doing Philip Lopez things, right? I think I think we need to stop calling him a top number two, right? Because he got overshadowed at the beginning of the year by Mark Richards. I think it's absolutely unfair. Yeah. If Philip Lopez is a number two, then right now Trey Birchfield's a number two. Right. right? They're co-number ones. Right. I mean, there, there's no reason for me to, to look at that in, in any other way. And then the only other one I'll kind of uh, throw a shout out to is Hunter Thorne. He continues to just have this incredible, incredible emergence into becoming a top-level player and into being elite-level talent. 
Um, and, and I'm just excited to see what Hunter Thorne's ceiling is because he is a player that I think personally has potential to be in the conversation for breakout player. Now, based on the standings and how he did at the very beginning of the season in Nationals, he may not get that increase in rank, but the performance I've seen between the shootouts and the Opens and even the last National, that gives me um, something to, to think about as far as being a breakout player. So, so uh, yeah, so, so incredible, incredible feats on, on the single side. I can't remember when we had Hunter Thorne on the Girls Throw 2 show, but I know when I interviewed him, he told me that he was playing like absolute garbage. Um, so it was, yeah. So, yeah, he was like, I, and he's, he told me I forgot how to throw. That's what he told me. Um, and it was when he was struggling there for a little bit. So I love seeing that he found it because he looked so deflated. Um, yeah. and, and I was like, you found it, Hunter. Good job. I'm proud of you. All right, Mike, thoughts on uh, the open? Yeah, I, I agree on on Hunter being potentially the, the breakout player this year. Whether the ranking shows it or not, he is a night and day different player um, right now than he was last season. He's he's throwing a lot better. Um, but other names that I that I uh, caught this weekend, Logan Chamberlain, dang yes. near won his bracket. Um, he was sitting in the king seat. Jeremy Shermerhorn had to double dip him in order to get to where he wanted to go. So Logan Chamberlain stood out. And then if you caught it, he he was also in the finals of the advanced blind draw. And he got double dipped there as well. He was uh, paired up with Chris Roybal. And uh, they were double dipped by Nick Williams and Jacob Trzinski. So, you know, it's no, you don't like to be double dipped. But at an event like that, to make it to second place twice, be sitting in the king seat is quite an accomplishment. So hats off to Logan. Um, another pairing that I, I managed to see a little bit of was Nick Patuski. And Sean Farrell, they came in third place um, in uh, in doubles. So amongst the stacked field, you know, great job for those guys. So kudos to them. But what I want to know is who played the lottery and picked these four names to win brackets. Justin Burton Jr., Jeremy Shermerhorn, Philip Lopez Jr., and Cameron Belvin. If you picked those four names, I, I want to meet you and I want to shake your hand. <laughs> and I'm not taking anything away from any of them because they all obviously have the capability of doing it. But considering the talent that was there, anybody that could have picked those four and went four for four. I mean, maybe one of them sneak in and, and take a bracket. But, you know, all four of them, arguably Philip Lopez Jr., like you mentioned earlier, I think he is a, a, a legitimate top tier number one player. I'm not necessarily too surprised at him. Jeremy's trying to prove himself that he's one of those players. He's just a grinder. Um, really happy for him, by the way. Justin, man, we'll see how he does up at this level. But we heard a lot of buzz about him coming in, and he certainly lived up to it. And then Cameron, is she back? Because that was refreshing to see. All right, I got a question for you, though, Mike. Going back to the Chamberlain discussion. Okay. Two-part two question, okay? Who is a better collegiate prospect into the pro division kobe costanza or logan chamberlain mm. <laughs> and the second part of question uh is are is either one of them the best prospect that we've had since matt stout if not better um i'm gonna go with kobe just because i'm a little more familiar with him i am gonna stick with kobe and I'm going to say Kobe is is the best overall prospect at this point coming out of college. I like it. 
I like it. Yeah. I, I really want to agree with you, but I might. I've seen some upward ticks from Chamberlain that I I think he's gotten better since the college championship, and I haven't seen the same for Kobe. So that's, I just need I just need to see Logan do it at one more event. Like my sample size yeah. is too small for him right now. But yeah, people forget that Chamberlain finished third at the National College Cornell Championship. Yeah, he he threw he threw amazing this weekend, and he kind of flew underneath the radar. So you know, I, I thought that was that was awesome for him. And then, hey, doubles seem to be anticlimactic, you know? And eh, eh, whatever. We all know how this one then. Ah, uh, uh, Trey Burchill and Alex Roll. Yeah, yeah they, take, they take it home. There's so much excitement in the other the other events that that one just seemed anticlimactic. Um, but speaking of other events, say hats off to Bella. She had a big win in singles uh, for women's. So, you know, good job for Bella um, taking down, I think it was Whitney in the uh, in the women's finals. Well, and, and I pulled this up earlier, and I was talking about this. Bella is sneakily becoming – she's sneaking in there. She is now seventh all-time in women's uh, women's wins, women's division wins only, right? So if you just look at opens, opens and nationals only and world mm-hmm. championships in female division events – she is now seventh all time. She has four total titles, all four of them coming at open women's singles event. She is also the leader all time in women's singles open event wins. It's awesome. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, she, she was definitely slinging them this weekend. I, I got to watch one of her matches really closely. She played Matthew and they played a 21-20 barn burner back and forth the whole way. And both of them were just, just on their A game. It was fun to watch. Awesome. Well, let's move into news around the league because we have a lot of it. Um, All right, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Deep (laughs) breath, Michelle. You ready? I feel like I I need to be one of those auction people. Um, You know, we're like talk really fast. We talk. (laughs) Atlantic Conference event, advanced singles, Austin Cameron and Michael Lucas Jr. For doubles, Michael Lucas Jr., Michael Dingus, and Leston Allen and Adrian Johnson. The Georgia State Championship, Hunter Claxon for first and Jason Frady for second. Jason Frady and Tony Hughes took doubles. Michael Wynn and David Tidwell for second. Pennsylvania State Championship, Devin Harbaugh first, Storm Hogue second. And for doubles, Devin Harbaugh and Gage Landis and Jesse Henderson and Ron Kugel. The Mississippi State Championship, first, Douglas Parker, second, Tyler Cobb. For doubles, Douglas Parker, Josh Glover, and then the Cobbs, Tubby and Tice Cobb. The Tennessee State Championship, first, Gary Ferguson, second, Michael Allen, and doubles, Alex Ryan, David Ryan, and then Cannon Hatcher and Christopher Day. For the Indiana State Championship, Dan Gluguski, <laughs> Bo Maggart, sorry if I brutal if I ruined that. Uh, doubles, Des Stevenson, Anthony Mayball, and Michael Harris and Brent Ellis. And Idaho State Championship, first Justin Carpenter, second Chandler Rounds, and for doubles, Justin Carpenter, Luke, Luke Hinkle and Steve Samuels and Ryan Huffy. I have to say, thank you. Um, you know, yes. we do a lot of these news around the leagues, and I notice at these championships and conferences, you see a lot of repeat in the singles and doubles. Like, I've noticed that in this non-pro field. Um, you know, you see, like, Justin Carpenter wins dumb singles and doubles, and that happens quite a bit. So congrats, everyone, on all your wins. And uh, keep grinding out there. It's a tough field. <laughs> so no matter where you are... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's rough. 
All right, let's go ahead and look at our shootout coming up this weekend in Las Vegas at the South Point Hotel and Casino. It's going to be on June 10th, and the broadcast will be on the CBS Sports Network at 6 p.m. Eastern on Friday, June 10th, and it will be live. So, Trey, give me your thoughts on uh, singles. Yeah, so uh, really just kind of looking, it's almost kind of a repeat of this this weekend um, as far as who I'm kind of watching and paying attention to with kind of a little bit of variation in other people that I'm looking for. I mean, obviously, the Matt Guy story is still prevalent, right? It's, is Matt Guy going to find a way to win one of these things, right? Is he going to do that? But I'm also looking at, um, you know, someone, a couple other people that haven't played yet in a shootout. Someone like a Yeti Irwan, right? Yeti Irwan is the number three ranked female in the country at the moment, completely flying under the radar with that ranking. The problem is the number two ranked player, Connie Altice, is also going to be in attendance. So when we look at someone to follow in the footsteps after Cheyenne Renner and now after Rosie Streaker, all Tyson Irwan for me stick out as those could possibly make a splash and, and go on a really big run. Um, uh, I'm also looking at Josh Holland. Okay. I said this on last night on ACL live, Josh Holland to me, <laughs> unfortunately seems like the type of player that if he goes down four points in round number four, he's going to get so frustrated and give up and he's not going to do well at these shootouts. Josh Holland has the ability alongside Derek Holland to win both singles, and he's he has sweep ability. He has the ability to sweep both events, but he's got to focus, and I'm worried. I'm worried about Holland in that manner, so um, I'm certainly paying attention to him. And then, you know, I, I, I got to be on the lookout for, for Jeremy Shermerhorn, right? Uh, I, I joked about it. In the last episode of Around the ACL on the double side, I said, it wouldn't surprise me if Jeremy Shermerhorn and Derek Singleton go 0-1 in the shootout in Mesa and they win the Open. I was somewhat right. They did go 0-1 in the shootout, and Shermerhorn did win the Open in singles, right? That's just, But they're kind of like that Holland-type mentality of they like the idea of being able to come back if they fall back a little bit, right? And it's almost if like they lean into that a little bit too much. So I just want to see if Shermerhorn can continue that and if the backwards hat is still working. If, the, if, if he's got the hat on backwards, are we seeing a, a, big, a big run? And then the last team, we're going to get to see the counterpoint to Ryan Smith and Philip Lopez. Mark Richards and Eric Anderson are playing together, okay? So can they live up? To their partners, uh, you know, their partner's success this past weekend at the shootout. So I and think what bags are they weekend. throwing? <laughs> and what bags are they throwing? Because that's gonna be that's gonna be the thing. And then the last thing, actually, one more thing. Who will Vegas get? Right? Who's gonna get got by Las Vegas? That's that now. The good news is oh, yeah. it, it is Friday. So the shootout is Friday, so we might not see who gets Vegas or Vegas gets until Saturday or Sunday, but by then the, the shootout's over. So that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, they should be able to to hold off for, you know, a day. <laughs> for, <laughs> Theoretically. for 12 hours. For 12 hours. <laughs> you can do it, people. I promise. All right, Mike, what are your thoughts on the shootout coming up in Vegas? Uh, Trey, Trey stole what I had written down in bold letters here, and it simply says, who can block out the distractions of Vegas? 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we see it every year. Somebody, somebody gets like, like Trey said, gets gotten by Vegas and they don't play their, their a game simply because of their location. So, it's a little farther up the strip though. Right. It's not like right in the heart of it. No, but it I is, promise it is you. The South point, which is the very bottom, very South of the, uh, of the strip. But yeah, I, I know what Mike's about to say. People are going to find their way. Yes, the I strip. promise you if we're within an hour of the strip, it's going to get somebody. <laughs> it's a valid point. <laughs> yeah. So, so Trey really hit on a lot of the points that I, that I had, um, you know, focusing mostly here on the doubles. There are some, some interesting matchups that I saw. We've got McGuffin and Dennis. I am really interested to see Jimmy McGuffin and Damon Dennis together. That again, again, that, yeah. they played I, in Fort Worth and they didn't play well. They played. Yeah, well. I didn't get to see. I didn't get to see that. And by the way, I'm in Vegas. I'm so excited about it. I'm already here. I'm I'm waiting for this thing to start. But no, I I want to see them with my own eyes. I think that's an exciting team to watch. Um, I had written down that Richards and Anderson was extremely intriguing. Um, how weird would it be if they qualify and, you know, they play the partner swap and uh, that just could be really weird. Um, the, the Hollands, is it just me? Do I feel like they're the best, quietest team out there? Like, I don't, I don't feel like we've heard anything from them in forever, but yet when I look at my list of favorites, they're always at the top of my list of favorites. So, you know, is this the event where they, they make a loud statement, you know, come to, come to Sin City and make a, a boisterous statement. Um, but overall, my three favorites in the shootout, Graham Guy, Ruben Powers, and um, Rawls and Birchfield. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and the nice thing about Alex Rawls and Trey Birchfield is Rawls won't have that. No. For lack of a better word, distraction, I guess, of, of having the success of singles. So he's literally just going there to see if they can qualify nor Indeed. should he have the distraction of Vegas. <laughs> He's not 21. That's true. That, it, That's all, right. it, honestly, when you look at the under 21s, they almost have the advantage because they, they, they can't. The they, literally, they literally can't get Correct. distracted by Vegas. Yep. Yeah, like if you did one in Cabo where you can drink at 18, things start to change, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Michelle, are you trying to tell are you us lobbying? Are you are you are you uh trying to hey, trying to sway us here? They love it over there. You should have seen them when we showed them the bags in Cabo. The people were like, What is this? <laughs> they were so fascinated by our cornhole bags. Uh, so I'm telling you, we're coming for you, Cabo. Uh we're I'll be the first on Cabo. the list. <laughs> They're interested. Michelle's going to sign up to do some commentary at that one. I can promise you. Oh, that. yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, let's talk about the open coming up uh, as well. Um, right after the shootout, June 11th and 12th. Um, what are your thoughts on singles and doubles there, Trey? Yeah, th this one, um, you know, I, I, I talked about this with Bernie. For me, I like to almost look at prospects when we're talking about in the summer now. Every, every single open is going to be just lined up with pros, right? At the beginning of the year, I kind of talked about, I like to highlight which pros were going. It seems like all the top names are going to a lot of these because they overlap shootouts, so they're getting a two-for-one there. So looking at prospects, your boys, okay, <laughs> Michelle? Yay. Vincent Frisch and Adrian <laughs> Brunson teaming up to play together, right? Who are they going to send home? You know they're going to send somebody home that doesn't want to go home. They're going to beat somebody in that open event. I just don't know who it is. So, and then just looking to see if 
now that they're kind of on everybody's radar, how those youngsters can kind of handle a little bit of attention from people, knowing that they can no longer just come in and be like, who's that guy that's beating mm-hmm. all these people? So there's going to be a little bit different level of pressure there than, than, than previously. Um, they are only 15, though, so Vegas can't get them. That's true. That's true. I, and I'm looking at some other juniors. You know, Nick Patuski is also going to be in Vegas. We've said his name a few times now. I believe Ryden Wiedenfeld is going to be there. Fisher Hamilton is going to be there. So when we're looking at this list of top under 18 level prospects, there's only eight spots available next season. And when you talk about the Gore brothers, Hicks and Batson, they're going to automatically qualify next season. That really leaves all of these under 18 players that we keep talking about four permanent pro division spots. Now there's, there's going to be some that are going to be able to get into that PDC fine, but there's some great talented players under the age of 18 that are now in crunch time at some of these opens to even get four more points. Is Finish Bella not one... going to qualify? She's right on the fringe. Both right. Cri- another spot. Crips and bats. Uh, sorry. Crips and Sopranen are both right on the fringe especially on doubles. I believe both of them in there are in the fifties and top 50 get it gets an automatic qualifier. Mm-hmm. So that's, those are other spots that can be taken away. So it is going to be a dog fight here at the second half of the, I mean, when I say literally four points, if you finish fourth in your bracket, can you go to one of these opens and just finish third and get four more points to see if you pass somebody else? I mean, that's what it's going to come down to here in the summer. Crazy. What do you think, yeah. Mike? Uh, Trey, Trey nailed it. It's, it's fun to watch all the prospects in it. And, and in this case, especially the juniors as, as we get down to the wire. Um, but just to throw out, uh, something that we haven't talked about yet, as we switch over to the open doubles, there's a few teaming, uh, teams amongst the pros that yeah. have swapped it up a little bit that are intriguing to take a look at. Um, the first one is we're going to see Matt and Brett guy together. So, you know, I know we've seen that for years and years and years, but, you know, over the past couple seasons now, it's been Matt and Jamie for the most part. And now you begin to wonder, uh, you know, year to year, if Matt and Brett were to find that magic and they were to start clicking, who knows? You know, just who knows how that could shake out. So it'll be interesting to see how Matt and Brett do on the big stage together again. Um, Again, I want to see McGuffin and Dennis together. I just I'm. I'm intrigued by that pairing. And then the the third one that I thought was interesting that swapped it up a little bit was Tony Smith and Eric Davis. I think that team right there. <laughs> That's a fun team to watch, is it not? Yes. You could walk around and, and, and get your money's worth just by watching those guys, um, following them throughout the tournament. So uh, those are my teams to watch. I'm so excited for that team. I couldn't be more excited for that team. <laughs> right, <yeah. laughs> Michelle, Michelle is going to be on Eric Davis and Tony Smith's Facebook page, just refreshing yep. the feed, waiting to see <laughs> yeah. if they can get a live feed pulled up there. I mean, she's absolutely. Just be, like, she's I don't even care what's happening anywhere else. I'm just following them around. <laughs> I wish yeah. I was there to physically follow them around. All right, let's move into our uh, hot takes. Trey, do you have a hot take? I do, I do, and this is this on paper doesn't seem very hot, but I think it is based on if you ask people. I'm going to take the winner of the women's single shootout this weekend to be Yeti Irwan. 
She has really played at a high level this season. But when you look, if I told everybody to look at that list of the lineup of the roster for this weekend and rank your top females, there would be more people that put Yeti Irwan further down the list, right? She she made it to a final last year in Atlanta against Sarah Cassidy. She's been on the fringe before. She's got consistency, and she's having her best year yet. So I am taking Yeti Irwan with my hot pick this week. Nice. What you got, I Mike? love that hot take. I love that one, Trey. She really has turned it up this year. So, you know, I, I, I give you, I'll give you credit for it still being hot, but I think it's a – it's a relatively safe hot pick because she right. Really yeah, it's, it's like a, I don't even know. I mean, is it hot take? <laughs> yeah. Yes, but no. At the same to time, to everyone else, it's a hot take. But to the people that have really paid close attention, it's it's a little closer to a warm take. So, yeah. But no, kudos. I like that pick. Um, mine is not going to nearly be as hot. It's just because of the specificity of it. I'm going to go in and say that uh, Matt guy earns his ticket to a pro shootout this weekend. That is kind of a hot take. (laughs) Again, it's kind of a similar thing. Like, it's not hot, but it's hot at the same time. Yes. One way or the other, whether it be doubles or singles, Matt Guy gets his first ticket. Hey, he he, he won last time we were in Vegas. There you go. Vegas did not get Matt Guy. No, it did not get Matt Guy. (laughs) All right, mine's not hot for me because it won't be shocking, but I'm picking Tony Smith and Eric Davis for the win. Uh, which probably shouldn't surprise anybody, but they got to go through a tough field to do that. And we talked off before we started recording about the difference between dirty style players and I guess clean players, if we want to call it that, or consistent players just slide in the hole. And my my prediction is the slide or clean win more often than the dirty. Like that's just my hypothesis. I agree. So I want to, I would love to see the actual stats, but then that would make it a hotter take. So that's my hot take. That's what I got for you. Um, looking forward to all the cornhole action to watch actually on my TV, on the ACL Cornhole Network, which you should definitely search on your smart TV to see if you can find that. Um, and we will see you all there. And thanks so much, everyone. We'll-